I'm sure it's very true in the majority of areas. There's probably not more than, you know, one, two, maybe three people, maybe not even any that are doing <laughs> this kind of niche. So it's a very unique niche in what you're doing. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me today, I've got Seth. And Seth, he uh, goes by the pseudonym E.B. Farmer. So, uh, Seth, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, Todd. How about yourself? I am doing excellent. Uh, well, I'm excited to have you on the show. Why don't you give our listeners a bit about your background, kind of what you're doing right now and uh, you know, how, how you got there? Uh, certainly. So as you said, I sort of go by the pseudonym EB Farmer. Um, some people might also know me as the Land Flipper. Uh, I have a couple books out, a course out, some consultation that I do. Uh, but basically, my specialty is sort of uh, rural acreage and specifically rural acreage that I personally deal with. I'm not a remote investor. Um, I'm not someone who buys land all over the country. I have a specific area where I work and uh, been doing it as a family business for my entire life. Um, So let's say my family has probably 50 or 60 years combined experience with all this. And uh, basically what we do is we buy bigger tracks Uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 to 30 to even 200 acres sometimes. And we break it up into smaller pieces, into lots essentially. And using the economy of scale, we tend to get, you know, two or three times more per acre than what we paid for it when it's all said and done. That's in essence my whole business model. And I do it as a a full-time living and have for most of my life. So uh, yeah, happy to, uh, be on here and get to chat with you about it a little bit. So you buy, let's say a, a 30 acre parcel and you're going to split that up. Like who are you, who are you marketing to? Who are you going to, let's say you buy a 30 acre parcel and you're buying it for, I don't know, $2,000 an acre. Um, you're going to you're gonna then sell that in smaller chunks. How are you marketing that? Who are you selling to? Right. So, uh, a customer profile is an important thing for, for me and what I do. And um, typically I am looking for property that's going to be at most an hour away from a major metropolitan area. If it's in between two major metropolitan areas, that's even better. If it's close to an interstate, that's even better. Uh, if it's close to an area that has a lot of big plants like uh, oil plants or GM plants or whatever it is where a lot of people, a lot of blue collar workers are, uh, employed, that's all the better. And so it depends on a case by case basis, who fits that customer profile the best. But um, I tell you, I sell to a lot of blue collar workers, like I, like I mentioned, who work at, at factories, I sell to people from the city, particularly right now with all the um, stuff that has gone on in, in America the past six months, people are seem to be now I don't know if this is happening all over the country, but where I'm at, people seem to be leaving the city and looking for five acres out in the country even more. So I'm uh, dealing with a lot of those people. And um, it, it, like I said, it varies 
uh, from, from, from deal to deal. Some I'm looking for people to build big houses. Some I'm looking for people who are going to put down double wide mobile homes. Um, are you in most cases then needing to get the, the property like rezoned to? No, uh, because I typically work outside of any corporation limits, any city limits, even any town limits. Uh, I'm working in areas that are just generally controlled by the county planning commission. And in a lot of rural counties, there's no zoning. Um, I know that in different places in the country, there are different rules and regulations. But generally in the United States, uh, a lot of the land use laws are dictated on a county level. So when I'm dealing with a rural county, they don't care so much about zoning. They do have um, procedures and things that you have to do in order to be able to break up your 10 acres into four uh, four twos or whatever it is, or two fives. Um, Some hoops you have to go through, but generally there's a, what's called a minor subdivision and a major subdivision. And when you're doing major subdivisions, you, you know, you're increasing the amount of hoops you have to jump through. And when you're doing minor subdivisions, you can sort of almost do it on a handshake more or less, as long as you're within the, within the rules. I usually get my plats approved within the same day. So. Are, are a lot of these counties requiring minimum acreage or is it, does it vary greatly? Um, there is, there are minimal acreage rules. A lot of times where I'm at, it's uh, road frontage. Um, Sure. They require for a lot, at least, uh, you know, 150 feet on a public uh, maintained road. Now, if you go to build your own roads and stuff, that's a whole nother topic. That's where you get into the major subdivisions. And, you know, when you do that, uh, which I have done in the past, it gets a lot more complicated with the drainage studies and all that kind of stuff. So these days I sort of have taken a more minimalistic approach and I'm looking to do the maximum number of subdivisions I can do without going over that threshold into major subdivision territory, which causes a lot more headache. That's what I was going to ask you next is if you do any, you know, any land improvements on these properties, are you buying this acreage? Are you doing any type of land improvements, putting in culverts, driveways, um, anything like that, or you just leave it completely bare raw land and saying, here's your parcel. Uh, you do everything. So I've done it both ways. Um, obviously my, uh, preferred method is just to sell the land as is. Yep. Um, Easiest, quickest. Right. Uh, so you find some properties that can be a slightly, slightly hard to sell that way. Um, and there are often just small tweaks that you can make to things because, when you, when you go to look for land as a, a person who's looking for five acres out in the country, um, it can be really hard to, to do, um, to find what you're looking at. Things like just locating the corners on a five acre piece, um, can be the difference between being able to show someone easily, comfortably, uh, you know, where their property lines are and, just sort of directing them to a vague spot in the woods yeah. where they have no idea what's going on. So there, there are small things you can do. Um, you know, you can spend 20 hours uh, sort of just doing minor things. Sometimes I, I have a tractor, I'll do the lot lines, make nice paths, 
I'll cut any barbed wire fence so that, you know, the wife and kids can walk up on the land, that kind of just small stuff like that. I have done more extensive things. And a lot of times what I'll do, because uh, where I'm at, I'm in a very lush part of the country and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of raw land is completely overgrown with trees and and briars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, So sometimes I'll actually not sell, but give away the trees to a lumber interest or to a timber guy and say, all right, you can have these trees for free if you come and get them um, and just get the land cleared that way and then sell it, you know, with the stumps on it. Uh, Stumps are a whole discussion in, in and of themselves, but just being able to open it up like that and let people see what it is instead of staring at a wall of woods, you know, that's totally free for me to do. And it doesn't cost me anything. Uh, why aren't you why aren't you getting money for that (laughs) that's a good question so uh we used to get a lot of money for our timber um but the market has sort of gone through some yeah uh, yeah i mean basically where i'm at like i say there's there's i'm in a rural area with a lot of wood so there's tons of trees but not a ton of people and people say well i just ship the trees to china but apparently that's not cost effective because of how heavy trees are so you're pretty much hamstrung by whatever local mills are in your area how many trees they're accepting how big they want the trees i've tried to sell trees and been told they're too big they're too old they're too limmy they're too knotty they have cat faces what timber guys call cat faces where the trees kind of slightly deformed in a place anyway the market is uh is not great for selling timber where i'm at right now yeah. Uh, long story short. Yep. Uh, actually, it's interesting because I read that um, maybe a year, year and a half ago, maybe certain parts of our country, uh, I think it was mainly uh, south, southeast was was really like oversaturated and you weren't, you're not able to get really anything right. for the timber. Exactly. Um, certain areas are still good, but uh, yeah, that, that's, that was some, that's interesting that you say that. Um, and get paid for it and to all your listeners if any smart people out there can figure out a way to get a barge full of trees cheaply to china i guarantee you you will become a multi multi-millionaire <laughs> <laughs> because there there's a ton dig of that hole Go yeah ahead, i guess i guess apparently there's problems with the longshoremen and there's you know import export things going on it's it's way above my uh pay grade but sure Suffice to say, you don't get money for timber like you used to where I'm at. Um, that's not to say it can't be done. Um, you know, you might get, if you have real, real primo timber, you might get a thousand dollars an acre, which, you know, if you only paid 3000 an acre, you know, you're, you're, that's 33% of your, of your cost gone right there. So. Yeah. So give me, so give me a few highlights. You got the book, um, you know, the, the land flipper and just give me some highlights on, how somebody can get started in this business uh, quickly or as quickly as possible. <laughs> well, the first and most obvious answer that, you know, may be upsetting to some people is uh, the secret to all of capitalism, which is have a lot of money, right? <laughs> if you don't have a lot of money, that doesn't mean you're completely out of luck. It just means you have a bigger hill to climb yep. and you're going to have to work harder and get up earlier and, and stay later than anybody else. Um, as far as just, getting your foot in the door uh, first time, you know, um, there's a lot of different ways you can approach it. Uh, I've known some people who have worked for developers. 
um, worked for people who are already doing it, either as salesmen or maybe as um, even as assistants. Uh, other than that, getting started, if, if I was just to move to a new place and, and getting started from scratch, the first thing I would probably do is a lot of research online as to what's available in the area, what things are selling for, and really become an expert in uh, the niche of that local raw land market. I always use the example when I tell people about this, it's like, it, it, say that you were an expert in, you know, Russian antiques, right? You're the foremost expert in this small little thing in the whole world. Well, you walk into a garage sale and there's a Russian antique there and you're more qualified than anyone else in the whole world to, to value that, to, to say what it's worth, right? And if you go to enough garage sales as the foremost expert in Russian antiques, then you will eventually find something massively underpriced. And depending on what kind of person you are, you can make a killing off of it. So my advice to like people who want to become entrepreneurs in a specific niche is always just to become as familiar and as much of an expert in that niche as you possibly can. So, you know, take, take courses, follow around um, any kind of contacts that you can make in the development in the timber and the real estate agent market, even um, just learn as much as you can, because once you can become the type of person who recognizes value in land, which is a small niche, there's not a lot of people doing it, especially raw land out in the country. There's, there's not a lot, not a lot of sex appeal or panache in that. So you really, sh you know, if you, if you learn enough about it, you could very well be the only person doing that in your, in your county or in your area or in three counties. And so you'll be able to see stuff that's, that you'll be able to see that Russian antique when it pops up on Zillow or, or on Landwatch or what, or on Facebook, you'll be able to be the only person who says, well, you know what, that 20 acres, you know, it's priced at a hundred thousand, but I happen to know that a five acre lot in that area sells for 50,000. So I'm seeing something listed for a hundred thousand. And I know that through the subdivision process, through the marketing that I do and, and, and all the stuff I know about that piece that I can make, I can sell it for 200,000. Yep. Yeah. That was a long answer. Sorry about that. No, but. <laughs> I, I, I like that answer because it really answers the question for, um, it, it answers the general broad question. Um, and you answered, I think, really well, as you, you said, you got to become familiar and you got to become an expert in the niche that you're going after. And right. so if somebody's sitting here listening and they want to get into you know, flipping houses, well, it's the same answer. If they exactly. want to get into buy, note buying, well, that's the same answer. So it doesn't matter what you're trying to get into. This, this exact same answer applies. Right. So I, I right. appreciate that. Uh, you, you've been doing this a long time and, uh, have had success in it. What's, what's like, uh, maybe a couple key factors for your success. What have you seen that's, that's played into that, that somebody could replicate? Okay. Um, I, I I'm going to sound a little biased here, but I think being a little bit of a, of a paranoid person, not a, maybe paranoid is not the right word. Being a very cautious person who sweats the details I think is a, is a good quality. I don't want to say paranoid because there's another quality to entrepreneurship, which is being sort of optimistic, yep. right? If you, if you, if you never, th if you think things are never going to work out, you won't do this business. You won't do any business because there's risks. There's, 
hard decisions. There's times when you have to go out on a limb and, and when you get the cards that you, you need, you have to go all in. So mm-hmm. I don't want to say someone who's paranoid to the point of, of neuroticism to where they can't act, but I do want to say that you, you can't really go into this with a sort of shrug your shoulders, lackadaisical attitude. In my opinion, you have to be very focused on the small stuff because, you know, you miss out on the fact that this land has a, has an acre in the flood zone or it doesn't have a water line where you thought it had, or, you know, it's got uh, God forbid, I don't even want to discuss all the things that can go wrong with title, with environmental issues, all that kind of stuff. So you need to be aware of all those things and and sort of sweat the details and the the contractual things that are, you know, you need a good title attorney, you need a good CPA. I don't want to scare people away from just bootstrapping it because, you know, we've done plenty of that. Um, But yeah, attention to detail and um, also just being willing to, I, th- this is another thing that's going to sound biased. And I think a lot of the uh, sort of entrepreneurial gurus may disagree with this, but I think you have to be the type of person who puts your gloves on and goes, you know, physic being physically present uh, at these things. You know, you meet the surveyor, you meet your buyers yourself and, and you do all those kind of things. I mean, have employees when you're to that point. Uh, but the sort of like, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to be the primary person driving this whole enterprise is a very important quality to have. You don't want to just assign things to, you know, VAs. Again, this is just my opinion. A lot of people are going to disagree and and having VAs is great and all that. But in my opinion, I, I think that especially when you're getting started, a hands-on boots on the ground, local attitude is is super important yep yep um yeah and i think that's really important for anybody getting started especially getting started you know i mean a lot of people think oh we're gonna they hear the like you said the expert or the guru that says you gotta you know have other people doing everything and well so they they get started and they try to do that and they're not in control right that's that's part of the the thing is you got to be in control. And, and even when you do give a lot of that stuff away, you still have to be willing to get your hands dirty. You have to be willing to go to the properties and, and do some of that stuff. And I, I'm fairly hands off on a lot of my stuff, but I just recently flew to my properties and there's nothing that could replace that. You know, right. I could, I could have had zoom calls. I could have had, done Skype or whatever right. with, with my managers and, but, there's nothing that replaced me going there absolutely and the stuff that I learned from it. And now we're moving forward quickly on a lot of things that if I didn't go there would have happened. Yeah. And like I said, at some point there are things that you have to let go of, you know, if you've got 400, yeah. 500 properties, you can't, can't do, you everything. know, mow the grass at every place. That's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. My point is that when you're trying to, build something nobody wants it as bad as you yeah nobody nobody cares as much as you care and nobody wants to sell that property or flip this one or whatever as much as you do and so you mm-hmm. have to be the the driving force behind it and i think that's lost sometimes in the spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff that that gets tossed around a lot um yeah, yeah. I, so so true there. Yeah, yeah. Like you just said, it gets lost in the spreadsheets, right? We all mm-hmm. we, all, we all love to look at the spreadsheets and look at how profit, how much profit <laughs> right. they make, and when right. uh, and we forget the little details, like you talked about, like you forget 
to pay attention to the environmental problems that could mm -hmm. be there or, you know, who knows, like there's all right. kinds of different issues right. planned or with anything that do we just pay attention to the spreadsheet? We're like, Oh, great, yeah. this thing's going to make me, you know, 50,000 or a hundred thousand or whatever it might be. Yep. And you forgot about it, the reality. Reality is a lot different. That's that happens a lot in my world with with rentals. It's like, oh yeah, this property looks great. It's going to cash flow. Um, I'm buying it, and it's got this you know 10% cash on cash return, which is great. And then they go, oh, I didn't realize there was tenants involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Some right. Of them don't pay me rent. All right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you, I mean, you learn by doing things. Yeah. You know, and the guy who's running a plumbing company, like there's a big difference between a man who's running a plumbing company and has never had crap on his hands. And then the guy who, you know, he learned the business from the ground up, putting yeah. pipes together. And now he's the manager and, you know, his, he, he knows a lot more about every step of the process. There's a big difference between those two people. So in my opinion, you know, yeah, get your hands dirty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like it. Um, What's a mistake that you can talk to our audience about and something that they can take home and learn from? And, and then how, how have you learned from it, of course, too? Hmm. A mistake. You haven't made any, have you? Oh, I've definitely, uh, I've definitely made a few. Um, <laughs> in my line of work, I mean, the weather is a huge thing, um, even though it sounds very trivial, but... Sometimes, you know, I'll have a piece of property and I'll call a bunch of bulldozers out or, or whatever, and it ends up being too wet for six months. And then that makes a huge difference to my end of the year books and everything sure. like that. And to extend that a little bit, I mean, just, just the unforeseen things that can happen. You always need to be like when you're estimating how much money you're going to make and how quickly it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen there's a lot of conservatism that needs to take place in my, in my opinion. Uh, you need to be prepared for the worst. Yeah. Even when you buy, you need to, when you buy something, you need to be prepared for having a really difficult time selling it, maybe not making a huge profit. Um, and, and, and on top of that, just to go a little, a little deeper into that from a psychological perspective, uh, there's a lot of, um, there can be a lot of fear in being an entrepreneur in my, in my personal experience and not being able to sort of control that fear and sort of being overwhelmed by it is a mistake that I catch myself uh, indulging in a lot of times, you know, bring, going back to the point about being an optimist, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to be an optimist, but you have to be a conservative optimist, if that makes sense. And you can't be, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong. And there's so many times when you, you know, you might not make the money you're expecting to make. And while you can't sit around, you know, fretting that to the point of, of paralysis, you do have to, you do have to manage your fear and be ready for when something bad happens. And yeah, you got you got to plan for some of the unforeseen. You got to plan for some of the bad, because if you don't and you get stuck in it, uh, you might not be able to get out. Yeah, and I always buy land, you know, that I know if the subdivision doesn't work out, like for whatever reason, I can sell the whole thing back for about what I got in it. You know, so I, I'm so far I've never had to keep a piece of land that I've owned. I've mm -hmm. sold every piece of land that I've ever had over time. You know, because I I want it so bad and I'm willing to you know, make less profit if it means making it happen and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that that's, you know, 
but that doesn't mean I haven't bought pieces that I wish I hadn't bought because they took twice <laughs> as long or three times as long and the neighbors were a nightmare or whatever it was, you know, so. Yeah. And, and it's all, I'm assuming it's going to be the same. And when I was flipping, it's all about velocity, right? You, sometimes you just take less profit just to get out of the deal. And cash too. I mean, I, I, I do a lot of owner financing for people and I'm happy to do that. And I have lots of notes and they sort of, you know, they pay my electric bills and stuff like that. But every time you do that, that's so now you got to slow down because you can't just immediately go buy three more properties that you could if you had the cash. So are you ever buying them on owner financing? I have before. Yeah. I've done some, like what you call a, a wrap deal, you know, um, which it's, it gets fairly complicated, but, uh, they do, they do work. Yeah. Um, it's hard to convince people. It's hard to convince a guy with 20 acres, you know, and he wants 75 grand for it. Say it's very hard to be like, all right, I'm gonna give you five. <laughs> and then I'm just going to send you a check every month. Is that all right? You know? So I've had people just, I, and, and persistence is big in this, you know, I've had people kind of laugh at, laugh at me when I suggested that, but then after working on them for, you know, maybe multiple months sometimes. And I'm not, I'm not a great negotiator, uh, but getting to know people and sort of earning their trust is goes a long way in that because you think about it, they're loaning you, they're loaning you 75 grand or whatever. Um, They're trusting you. You're going to make these payments. Right. Exactly. And then when you do that, I definitely recommend, um, you know, a competent title attorney because you need, to make sure there's no due on sale clause and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, again, that's something that I definitely recommend having a, having somebody <clears throat> who's competent and local always have a local title attorney when you're closing deals because the laws are so different place to place. So. Yep. Yep. Um, what are your, what are your goals with the, the business uh, moving forward? Well, you know, it might disappoint some of your listeners, but you know, I'm not a super ambitious guy uh, in terms of just raw dollars and cents. What I really like is writing. I enjoy writing books. Um, so, you know, I, my goals are to be able to have, a, you know, just have enough to where my family and me, we just don't really have to worry about traditional careers and traditional jobs and things like that. And, uh, you know, I like, I like to basically be a traveling writer kind of guy who, collects most of his money in the mailbox. Um, that's still, you know, not a reality for me by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, I can see it happening in the next five, 10 years. And, uh, and so that's really what I'm striving towards these days is just, you know, like you said, you know, you get to a certain point and you can kind of, you can kind of let go of these things you've been, you know, constantly on the forefront of and, and physically present at everything and, and taking, you know, six hours out of your day to go meet buyers and all that kind of stuff. Like I like doing that. And it's a great, it's great being your own boss and everything like that. But, <laughs> you know, I kind of liken it. It's not this extreme. Okay. So don't get me wrong, but you know how, like when a doctor goes home at night and he like pours himself a glass of wine, you know, there's always that feeling in the back of his mind that he might get called in. Some, some emergency might happen. There might be a trauma somewhere and he's, he can never really relax, you know? And it's the same with being a businessman, like a full-time fully engaged businessman. You know, yeah. you, you, you get home, you pour yourself a glass of wine and then the, the lot buyers call because their neighbor is encroaching on them and you sold them that land. So you need to come straighten this out. You know, that kind of thing um, is, is, is one of the things that eventually I'd like to let go of. 
So sure. that's, <laughs> maybe that's not as ambitious as an answer as, as some people, you know. Um, but I tell you, man, a, a hundred grand a year, 150 grand a year, that's, I'm happy. So, you know, that's, uh, that's a realistic thing. And if I can just, you know, make that consistent and, and easy, I'm, I'm, I'm done, you know, so. I, I, I actually think that probably speaks to a lot of people listening. Um, you know, definitely there's, there's people that want to get a lot more than that and, and do a lot more than that. But there's plenty of people that they just want to create that kind of that quote unquote financial freedom, right? Get to a point where they can go write their books or they can, you know, whatever, whatever else they want to do and spend their time doing more or less their hobby, maybe a hobby that makes the money. Right. Um, but more or less spending time doing that and having this passive ish income outside of that. So. Yeah. Just take the pressure off your life. You know, that's yep. the way I look at it. It's freedom and it's taking the pressure off, you know? Yep. Yep. So, um, how do you like to give back? Well, that's a difficult question. Um, I do a lot of consulting with people for free. Uh, you know, I just have the Gmail email account, which sounds terribly unprofessional, but you know, if you ever want to email me at the landflipper at gmail.com with your questions, you know, um, generally if it gets too in depth, I do ask people to subscribe to the course, but you know, I, I end up, I'm a talker. So I, <laughs> people contact me and I just, you know, we just kind of end up chatting and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I've helped a lot of people through deals and stuff that way. Uh, for free. It's getting a little bit overwhelming now with all the messages I get and stuff, but I still try to do it when I can. Cool. Um, I think two last questions I want to ask you. Sure. Other than your own book, what's your favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners? <laughs> well, you know, I was a, I was an English major. So <laughs> are you, you just mean, uh, entrepreneurial typically book. we do entrepreneur mindset business you know yeah. if you've got something else you just want everybody to listen to you think they should that's fine yeah okay well I'll, i mean i'll start with one that's uh sort of tangentially uh you know related to entrepreneurship that i read recently uh which was deep work i think it's by cal newport and i found that book really really cool um it, it, the whole premise of the book is basically just that anything that's worth doing is worth focusing your entire mind on for long periods of time. And in fact, he goes to say, he goes so far as to say that any work, which is not done that way is the work that's going to be quickly phased out, replaced by AI machines are going to take over all that stuff. Right. And he uses this really cool uh, descriptive example of this blacksmith, uh, like a modern day blacksmith, not like a medieval blacksmith, but about this modern day blacksmith and um, he's even going so far as to talk about like happiness and fulfillment and life's purpose and all this stuff. And this blacksmith who spends multiple, multiple, multiple hours every day, just tempering his steel and getting his fire just right. And, you know, I don't know all the details of blacksmithing, but he, he you should read that part of the book because it was super uh, enlightening and just how much, how deeply into his work he gets every single day. And, he, he even goes into like the science of proving that the people who do these kind of jobs and have this kind of dedication to things um, tend to be more happy and more fulfilled. And uh, mm-hmm. he also talks about like Jewish scholars and how they wake up 
uh, I think I'm talking about Orthodox Jewish scholars here. I'm not really sure the subsect, but they wake up at 5 a.m. and they read the Talmud for like two or three hours and they study the scripture for like two or three hours every morning. And it like changes their brain in a way to be where they're more fulfilled and more happy and more effective in other areas of their life. And uh, I just thought that that was really, really cool. And as far as other books, you know, I just have to plug uh, (laughs) Ishiguro and Hemingway. And I really like Cormac McCarthy and William Faulkner and all that other stuff too. But (laughs) cool. Cool, cool. Um, so, so last question what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Hmm. Well, I think hard work goes without saying, I know it's a, something that we hear all the time, but you know, you're really not going to get anywhere without hard work unless you've already got a couple million in the bank. If you got a couple million, you can make that five, you know, six, 7 million pretty fairly easily. Um, the second, uh, would probably be relationships, I think. And I'm not very good at this, um, but there's a lot of success that happens just based on your relationships, especially when you're working locally. Like, you know, yeah. you're, you, the church you go to, the, the chamber of commerce that you're involved in, the little league team that you uh, coach or whatever it is that you're involved in and all the people uh, that you meet. And that's not to say you can't go to a new place and be an unknown and start fresh. And, but you need to develop relationships with, uh, you know, a, a really good title attorney. It might take you six or seven different title attorneys, a good banker. You know, I can't tell you how the banks that I've made relationships with only that only to see them get gobbled up by some national, you know, uh, conglomerate bank. And now they're all faceless people who I, you know, but still yeah. it's worth doing. Um, number three, you know, I would say the, this probably doesn't sound as profound as it should, but tools, um, having good tools, investing in good tools and knowing how to use those tools is really, um, important. So everything from sharpening your machete before you go out into the woods, all the way up into, you know, using map, right. And GPS and all that, um, complicated tech stuff, you know, uh, having a good grasp of your tools is important. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. So we're going to wrap up here. How can Great. our listeners, you know, know more about your, your book, your courses, just get to know you a little bit more. You gave us your email. Where else can they reach? You yeah. So I have everything. Go ahead. I have uh, two, two different sites. I have the landflipper.com and landflippers.com. And I also have a Facebook group, which is landflippers. And you can join any of those. I have a course and I, I made a coupon for your listeners. It's uh, POWC flips, F L I P S. And if you use that coupon at landflippers.com, you'll get 25% off the course. And you can just email me the landflipper at gmail.com. If you like to chat. Awesome. Awesome. We'll put that all in the show notes and I appreciate the coupon. That's really cool. Um, definitely. Uh, appreciated the conversation a lot of good information on there and something i think a lot of us don't think about and i find it interesting what you said earlier it's it's, i'm sure it's very true in the majority of areas there's probably not more than you know one two maybe three people maybe not even any that are doing (laughs) 
this kind of niche. So it's a very unique niche in what you're doing. Yeah, well, um, until that HGTV you. show comes along, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Glorious well, lives of the land flipper or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. They're gonna. Then I'm, then I'm screwed. Yeah, well, maybe it's maybe it's featuring you. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Well, may I switch careers there to uh, you know Hollywood? But perfect. Well, Seth, appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and you have a fantastic rest of the day. Thanks so much, Todd. I appreciate you having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out, and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.